Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? Commercial air travel begins between the United States and the USSR, race riots in Gary, Indiana, and an Israeli airliner is hijacked by three members of the PLO. It's the first hijacking of an LL plane. This is July 1968, and you're listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. And Brian brings this album to you, and this is one that seems a little psychedelic to me. Well, we have to set the moon, don't we, guys? We have to have a, 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 a lava lamp going here. We That's have right. Have, uh, the lights are dimmed. And we are in listening, of course, to the Pink Floyd, as they were known at the time. Oh, really? And this is the Jug Band Blues. This is the only song on the album where Sid Barrett, one of the original members, is actually singing. Oh. So, as we all know, Pink Floyd was the original the original band. The Pink Floyd was Sid Barrett on lead guitar and vocals, Roger Waters on bass, mm-hmm. um, Neil, or excuse me, Nick. Nick Mason on drums, and Rick Wright on keyboard. These guys were all students at a architecture university, and they decided, well, you know what? Let's just get together and do a little jamming, and one thing led to another, and they caught fire in the underground. The underground album sales were very impressive. This is the second stu- uh, studio album that they released, following their initial one, which was, of course, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Right. Before this episode, that was the one that I thought we were doing, and then you mentioned you know, Saucer Full of Secrets yeah. is, is a different one. Yeah, Saucer Full of Secrets, this is their second. And this is where, historically, this is the transition between Sid Barrett mm-hmm. and David Gilmore. And, of course... As we all know from our previous te- uh, podcast with Sid Barrett, we're talking about Sid Barrett. I, I watched an interview again uh, this week about uh, Roger Waters was on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon uh, in 2010 when he was doing an interview prior to his The Wall mm-hmm. concert tour. And it's, it was interesting to watch Jimmy Fallon. By the way, this is the, uh, the Salvation Army band that they brought in. Oh, really? So, yeah, it's just weird. So well, they were very, very, I, I guess, experimental oh, on yeah, everything they were doing at this there. time. Oh, this is the time when, if I recall, they, they had like a projector and they had soap bubbles and with oh, multicolored yeah. lights coming off and they would project those bubbles with, with a little film on it and kind of lifting it up and down and causing it to kind of vibrate to the music. Yep. And that was sort of the psychedelic effect that they were getting up on the wall. Actually pretty yep. high tech. Yeah, <laughs> but getting back to time. The, yeah, getting back to that interview with with uh, Roger Waters and with with um, uh, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, this is a song here called "Let There Be More Light," and this is, of course, without Sid Barrett. Now you hear David Gilmore's influence, and you also hear now with this one, 
Let There Be More Light is sung by Roger Waters. Oh, okay. Which is, you know, the transition we're talking about. But anyway, getting back, uh, Roger Waters had mentioned about Sid Barrett because it was fun to watch because Jimmy Fallon was interviewing him as a fan would. Okay. And then they talked about Sid. And for the first time that I had heard, uh, Roger Waters revealed that Sid Barrett had schizophrenia or Mm -hmm. symptoms of schizophrenia. And when you combine that with hallucinogenic drugs, whatever hallucinogenic drug it is, it's going to have a very adverse effect. Mm-hmm. What happened during the, when they would tour during this time, Sid Barrett would come out on stage, and he would essentially, he wouldn't be hardly be playing anything. He'd just be walking around with a guitar, so they had to have Gilmore there to fill in the gap. Hmm. So I... It's hard for me to imagine going to, I mean, as as tight as shows are today, Mm -hmm. and as tight as what we've experienced in our lifetime, it's hard for me to imagine, unless you thought it was a gag, that somebody be walking around the stage, just walking around completely out of it, and maybe every now and then picking up and trying to play something, but Mm -hmm. then walking off the stage, then walking back on. I mean, it's just very, very strange to think about. Well, Brian, this is the beginning of acid rock. This is, I mean... Pink Floyd, this period was acid rock. Yeah. I mean, you, and then you had Indigata De Vita yeah. uh, with Iron Butterfly. You had all these groups that started coming out, and it was just sort of, it was out there. And yeah. it wasn't unusual for probably half the audience yeah. on, on something, too. So they were just sort of just experiencing it, that whole, you know, flower power, you know, power of love type stuff right. that was going on. But I don't recall, Wayne, I don't recall, and maybe uh, maybe I just don't know, and I'll ask you all, do you ever recall a band where you have a member just walking around so whacked out and just walking around that it, they don't even know what's going on? They leave the stage yeah. temporarily, then they come back out? Well, it's just, just unsustainable, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and they so knew that. It got so bad that whenever they would do a gig during this, this time, there would be four of them in the car going to the gig, and they say, oh, I guess we need to go pick up Sid. And then they look at each other and go, no, it's not worth it. Hmm. So it's just kind of a sad reality of what was going on at that time. Man, so people got messed up back then, didn't yes, they? they? Now, from what I remember, David Gilmore was sort of like a fan slash friend that was part of the group that sort of was on the outside, but he, he, was, he just sort of was someone that was there yeah. and just say, hey, you know, you can play the guitar. Come on, join us yeah. and just help us out. Well, as Roger Waters put it, he and Sid were best buddies. But right out there, as you point out, Wayne, in that same area or school or whatever, the town of Cambridge or wherever they were, David Gilmore was also very good friends with Sid Barrett and with the band. So they, to your point, he was used basically as a filler until they finally realized that just Sid just could not cut it anymore. Probably didn't even plug his guitar in. I'll tell you something that was kind of sad for me that's maybe along those lines. I guess it was 2019's um, uh, big uh, uh, awards show, the, the Music Awards. Willie Nelson played, mm-hmm. and I think he was completely lost. Oh, really? He was kind of, he would kind of strum, and he'd kind of sing, and I thought somebody made a poor decision to put him up there at this yeah. age. I mean, it was sad. Yeah. Now, now. If you're talking about replacements, it's notorious of Keith Moon basically just falling off the drums during a concert, and and Pete Townsend going, "Is can is anybody out here play the drums?" And some guy just kind of raised his hand, and they pulled him out, and he actually played very well with the group and knew all the songs. How about that? So that was that yeah. was uh, that's another one of those. Of course, Sid Vicious was another one that yeah. was addicted to heroin, 
and basically couldn't play, but he was playing the bass. He wasn't really playing the guitar, yeah. so yeah. that was sort of easy to kind of bypass. But, you know, this is classified, of course, you said psychedelic rock, acid rock, uh, some other terms that they use, experimental rock. Yeah. Uh, Space rock, I think, is another term that they threw out there for the early the Pink Floyd uh, releases. Let me ask you this: When's the last time you listened to this album? You know, I mean, is this something you like to listen to I've on never, your drive? Is this I've, something you know? I'm sorry, I've never listened to it until this week. Yeah, to from, from start to beginning finish. to end. Right. Mm-hmm. I've only heard bits and pieces, and, we're, and I, I selected these because I wanted to. Number one, I wanted to feature Jug Van Blues because that was the last one that. Said Barrett sang. Yep. And then with these other ones, Let There Be More Light, and the next two that we're going to do after this, it's a compilation. Roger Waters is really starting to assert himself yeah. as a songwriter and a, as a singer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can still hear the influence about where he wanted to take the band into yeah. this space rock, the, the psychedelic, and that sort of thing. And so uh, this next one we're going to hear is called Remember a Day. And this is a song that was written and sung by Rick Wright, the keyboardist. Ah, oh, that's, that's very so, interesting. So you got he, three songs and three different singers. Yeah. So Rick Wright, of course, he did a lot of the harmonies with David Gilmore in the huge album that we all have talked about before, which is uh, Dark Side of the Moon. But this is all Rick Wright. This is hmm. his, he wrote it and he's singing it. So it's called Remember a Day. And, of course, still kind of follows the space or psychedelic acid whatever you want to call it and they to a degree they were in very involved with acid i mean they, they'll tell you about it but this feels like to, white rabbit doesn't yeah. it yeah and now as you point out wayne with the the soap uh, images rising and falling on the the behind the stage they were ahead of their time if you think about it because they were they were doing gigs like bands do today, and they had these huge screens. Well, they didn't have; they just had these big walls that they would play up against. Mm-hmm. But they would still project these images of, you know, rolling soap or these images of just of being, you know, in an on a trip, mm-hmm. uh, which I personally have never been on. But I don't know, nor do I care, <laughs> nor do I care to be on one. I'd probably die. <laughs> but um, this is all fitting into that underground. You know, they they did a lot of dance. Uh, in the early days, they did a lot of dance uh, halls, and so this one sounds more intentional than the other two. And I think that's what I'm not a fan of with acid rock. Is just it's like modern art. It's like getting mm-hmm. from this point to that point. It's like why? Because that's what I was feeling. Yeah, I'm expressing kind of a jam band. It's like thing. okay, I call that you know a stream of consciousness. Right. I yeah. mean, it's whatever, but it's interesting. This is a this is a necessary part of. What the riff and rock and roll story and everything. I'm not a fan of this, but I'm interested in why yeah. it's there and how it influenced future projects. But what do you hear more in this song than you did the previous two? I, you hear oh, the, the keyboard. keyboard. Yeah. Also, I'm, I'm hearing C. Emily play, which was the, yeah. the previous actually kind of top hit that they had. Yeah. So that was off the previous album. So, I, I mean, I, I, I can see what they, what they, you know, they've gone to and I mean I, I want to say uh, until they got to metal yep. I sort of didn't really pay attention to Pink Floyd because it was you know you had you know Uma Guma and that that yeah. was like a double album of completely yep. experimental stuff and that, 
it just never gra- grasped me like yeah. like it did. Metal, to me, it sort of went, that was sort of like the pre-Dark Side of the Moon, and it started building to what, what they would have on the Dark right. Side of the Moon. Now, and, and Dave Gilmore essentially said that you know, when they do, you look at VH1 or the, the legendary albums, to your point, Wayne, that's exactly what David Gilmore said. He said, when you get to Echoes, which is the side B of the album, a 20-minute, you know, basically a piece, that's the direction they start going in, and it, and it carried over into Dark Side. Just featuring, I mean, to me, this is, I don't classify this personally as space rock. Right. I mean, this is more toned down, if you will. I will, I will say this about Umaguma though it has one of the greatest names of a song <laughs> in rock music. Yes. That's the one that has several species of small furry animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a pit. <laughs> it, it's right up there with Mana Mana. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with Rob on this, though. It is it is an interesting thing to understand. It's it's uh, certainly Sid Barrett. His shadow is carries across the entire Pink Floyd uh, era. So you know you, they they never really get away from Sid Barrett's shadow. But um, this is probably not an album that I'm going to sit down and listen to start to finish. No. Right. No. And, and nor, nor will I, and, and I think one of you alluded to it earlier, but I think it was you, Wayne, that said the interest really peaked or started to, to, to become interesting to you with metal. And I agree. Yeah, then Obscure by Clouds came yeah. next, and that was another one where, you know, you really, they, you could tell they became more professional mm-hmm. at, at what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And then, then, I mean, Dark Side of the Moon just blew everybody away. I yeah. mean, that that's obviously the... I, I would say probably one of the number one albums ever. Yep. Now this is more back to space rock. This was called Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun. Mm-hmm. This is written by and sung by Roger Waters. And to this day, if he is touring, he will include this in his set list. Oh. So, but this is... He will or will not? He will. Okay. For a while, you know, with The Wall, of course he didn't because that was obviously a... a right. Different, Talking you know. about like when he did the Radio Chaos tour oh, yeah. and things of that sort. Yeah, I've seen Roger Waters four times, two of which were the Wall, and he didn't do it obviously because he was doing the, the the Wall. But the two that I saw, he did include this song, and it was very well received and very well done. But you can here we go. We're getting into that uh, once again. The influence really from the NASA space program is is big in a lot of these, yeah. and and people don't realize how big that was, and and. We had not gone to the moon at this time. We're still a year away. And so we're, you know, doing, you know, different, you know, I, I assume we were doing different moonshots and everything else. Of orbiting the Earth. Orbiting, orbiting, the Earth. Well, orbiting the Earth, going around. No, we shot and went around the moon. We, just we didn't, didn't go around the moon until December of but, 68, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, but to that point, John Glenn had circled or orbited the Earth. And he saw some yeah. freaky things. Yeah, and so in the, in the Soviets were doing the same. There was a high competition, obviously, to the space race, if you will. But here's an interesting bit of trivia here. This song is the only song that all five members, well, David Gilmore wasn't officially a member, but this is the only song that all five of those guys participated in mm. this song. Oh, yeah? Yep. 
So, a little bit of tribute there for the Pink Floyd fans. What was the uh, What was the Jimi Hendrix song where he was talking about going to space? You know, and they were talking to each other. Mission Control that we. That oh we yeah, yeah, yeah. That was because um, I did that one. Yeah. Um, that was uh, Third Rock. Um, yeah, right. Third Stone. Third, Third Stone. Stone from the Sun. Yeah. It makes me think, you know, set the controls for the heart of the sun. Same, same kind of thing. And then you had the David Bowie Space Oddity, you know, yeah, and it, right. that was Major a big Tom. thing. Space Cowboy by by Steve Miller. Bet you weren't ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could picture being in a space museum, you know, and looking at the planets and hearing this music kind yeah. of playing the planetarium. very softly in the background. You know, actually, you know, I saw. Pink Floyd had a laser show at uh, Fernbank's Planetarium. In the Planetarium, mm-hmm. they did a laser show in the dome. In yeah, there. I remember that. That was uh, that was a thing in the eighties, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, and it was. I think it was for Dark Side of the Moon, but you know, it was it really wasn't Pink cool. Floyd there. It was just it was the, the album. Or laser. Right. Well, yeah. they, that's what they played. They played that the was, album. They yeah. played that, and they showed these laser things, and it was really cool. Like that was early eighties. Another bit of interesting trivia about this album is it did not peak into the top 100 or top whatever the top albums until the year 2019. What? Really? Until last year? What would ca- what would have caused that? Just this in- lack of interest until they released it re- and, then, and then of course they reproduced but not reproduced but when they remastered remaster it. it and then essentially put it on these compilations and then people say, "Oh, that's a great song." Then they go and get the original. And so, it, like anybody else, when we were yeah. growing up, you know, I mean, at the time, Animals was the big album that when I was growing up, and so I listened to Animals, and oh yeah, there's this other, you know, you've already kind of heard of a little bit from Wish You Were Here and Dark Side yeah. of the Moon, and then you start going back a little bit further, mm-hmm. and you Obscure by Clouds. Oh, okay, well that's a pretty damn good song. Yeah. song. Let me next album back, and then when I got to the next album, the was it Adam Hart Mother or whatever. Yeah. It was like, uh, okay, well, let me go back to the earlier one. <laughs> you know. Well, it's amazing, too, is in an in, uh, interview with, when they released The Endless River in 2014, mm-hmm. which was a lot of songs that they didn't release with their Division Bell and other previous recordings after Roger Waters left. Nick Mason said that the se- this, this album, A Saucer Full of Secrets, is his favorite uh, Pink Floyd album, hmm. which I find very interesting. Well, top hits of July 1968, Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel. This Guy's in Love with You by Herb Howard. Yeah, that wasn't I remember that. that. I almost picked that for my staff pick. Yummy, yummy, yeah. yummy, the Ohio Express. MacArthur Park, Richard Harris. Yes, the actor Richard Harris had a song called MacArthur Park. And my favorite of the top five, Tighten Up by Archie Bell and the Trails. That was a nice, good soul song. Listen to that space. Oh, yeah. Got a few uh, seagulls yeah. in there. Space Jonathan, Jonathan Livingston. Space birds. <laughs> well, that was a very interesting uh, album <laughs> presentation, Brian. Absolutely. Thank you. Hopefully our listeners are just sitting on the edge of their okay, seats. Tur- yeah, turn your lights back on. Turn the mood, uh, Turn off the um, well, lava we're, lamp. We're actually going to move into our entertainment uh, track sponsored by Wright Collin Financial. And this in one kind of stays a little bit in the same vein. <laughs> Somewhat, this is sort of when the Beatles went psychedelic, but this was a psychedelic animated film called Yellow Submarine, and it premiered in London. Correct me if I'm wrong, that's Ringo Starr on lead, is that correct? I believe so, yes. It is, yes. I will say Ringo Starr and his cast of characters. 
Listen, there's sea, ocean sounds in this one as well. There, there were seagulls in the previous one. Wow. Where do we live? Now, album uh, movies that came out in um, in July of 68, uh, Don't Raise the Bridge, Lower the River, was a British comedy starring Jerry Lewis. Now, I hadn't seen hardly any of these. There was A Lovely Way to Die, which was a, a crime film that starred uh, Kirk Douglas. And Kirk Douglas, if you hadn't seen, he's been in tons and tons of movies. And um, For the Love of Ivy, it was a romantic comedy. It had Cindy Poitier and Bo Bridges in it. Five Cars Stud, believe it or not, that was a Western. Had Dean Martin and Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum was one of my favorite kind of bad guys. Badass. Yeah. The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. And uh, this is the beginning of Sandra Locke's career. Oh. She actually earned an Academy Award nomination for that performance, along with Alan Arkin. And the movie that I remember the most that came on TV quite a bit was called Anzio, if you remember that. It was uh, about Operation uh, Shingle, which was a 1944 Allied um, advance in Italy. They had actually, it's before the uh, Normandy invasions, but they were trying to bypass the Germans in, in, in Italy, and they attacked Anzio, and then decided, we're not going to keep on attacking. We're going to just kind of build our defenses up, and unfortunately gave time for the Germans to uh, surround them and basically yeah. kept them surrounded until... Actually, June 6th of 44. We're going to sing along? We should. Everybody else is. <laughs> All right. And then uh, One Life to Live, an American soap opera, premiered on TV. We're going to try to – and if you didn't have TV back then, if you did – you saw soap operas in the afternoon all the time, and it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember from my grandmother's house. Yeah. She always the had soap, soap operas. operas going on. Well, now we're moving on to our staff picks, and Bruce is bringing our first one here. Yeah, what do you have for us? Time to get out of the psychedelia. <laughs> all right. Was this Easy in a movie? Jazz. This was in a movie. Good so. call. This is The Look of Love by Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66. It was a song written by Burke Bacharach, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, really? right. I thought he was just a singer. I didn't know he was a Oh, big time, big time songwriter. Oh. oh, yeah. So he wrote this. He wrote, uh, lyrics were by Hal David. It was originally recorded by Dusty Springfield. Oh. And it was for the James Bond spy comedy film Casino Royale which was oh. released in 1966. They call it a spy comedy film. Really? Yeah. Do you remember this one? This was I, now this was not the Casino Royale that was done in the with the recently. Yeah, I, this I, is David Niven played oh. James Bond retired spy and he's kind of brought back in and they've got a lot of people Peter Sellers is in oh, it. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they, look, this was released. It was released in '66, and Dusty Springfield did the song originally. Uh, Sergio Mendez and Brazil '66 performed their rendition, their rendition on the Academy Awards telecast in April, and uh, it was on the charts in July. It actually did better than it's, it went. It ranked higher than the Dusty Springfield version. So I just thought that was interesting when I saw that. Um, I thought. Uh, 
you know, I might as well not let Brian be the only one that gets in trouble for <laughs> doing right. something that's a little more poppy. Yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, it's this, listed as a uh, uh, you know easy jazz love song. It's yeah, it's well, it's <laughs> kind of that uh, bossa nova, the Brazil yeah. feel that was kind of popular in the late sixties. A little big band in there. Okay, know? Ricky Ricardo. Hey, <laughs> Lucy. But if you listen to it, it does have, it feels a little bit like the James Bond. You've got oh, kind yeah. of some of those, the, the the chord progression is kind of James Bondish. Yeah, you can hear the horns and the, yeah. yeah. That's a nice thing. They brought a nice good brass band a lot of times these in these songs in the 60s. Always made it feel fuller. Yes, I want to say it was, it was a, a good breast of, of of explosion when you had that backing horn section. Yeah, yeah. And now we're moving on to Rob. I'm bringing Rob's. a little bit of a uh, one that uh, uh, people probably recognize from 1981, but this is from July of 1968. Tommy James and the Shondells wrote "Money, Money." They stole this from Billy Idol. I know it. This Clearly. song, their version made it to number three in the United States. And uh, it's kind of interesting if you, uh, the, the title of the of the uh, song came from uh, Tommy James was at his apartment and he was trying to come up with a name. He said he wanted something like Sloopy or Boney Maroney, but he couldn't come up with anything and he went out on his balcony and he saw the Mutual of New York building and the initials <laughs> illuminated in red were M-O-N-Y. <laughs> he says, that, that's got to be it. Richie, come here. you got to see this. It's almost as if God himself had said, here's the title. <laughs> I've always thought that if I had looked the other way, it might have been called Hotel Taft. <laughs> so as a result, it was Money Money. Now, we all know that uh, Billy Idol took this song in 1981, and uh, he just did a great job with it uh, when he performed it live in concert people got into adding a little bit of their own riff to it if you remember yes I do and so there's like a there's like a two measure break in the vocals so you know he would say he would say uh, you know uh, break this shake this moany moany and everybody in the audience would say ride, ride the, the pony get laid get oh. <laughs> that was part of the performance. And so oh. anytime you heard this song in the college scene in 1981, yeah. the crowd participated. And that's what ah. they said. Oh, okay. But uh, I'm not sure how that started, but it did. It started with, I mean, Idol didn't start it, but when he was performing it live, somebody People. in the audience started that and it became but, part of and it. And I don't want to jump the gun, but there's some other courses. He said, I want to ride the pony. I mean, you could clearly hear him say that in his, oh, yeah. his the rhythm section singing, yeah. ride the pony. So yep. it's unfortunate, but. Yeah, I mean, I love you, moany, moan, moan, moany. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of nonsense lyrics, but. Well, it's fun. It's a dance song. It's, it's, it's you know, you put it on and, and people are yeah. moving. It is, it is a dance want. song, isn't it? Yeah. That's the reason why it's so popular. Just people just decided to have have fun with it. Yeah. But it's a it's it's fun, and even this version is fun. I do like Billy Idol's version a little better, but I thought this was a, a good, good one party to cover. song. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a good party. Man, fraternity parties all the time play, oh, yeah. played this. So yeah. So now we're moving on to the next uh, staff pick. We're sort of going. 
back to the psychedelic stuff, but whatever. <laughs> Gary Puckett and the Union Gap Band. This is not a hit. This was a B-side. Oh. It's called Daylight Stranger. And this was one of those songs that was sort of on my multi groups of songs I would download and I just it's just I thought it was kind of a cool song. It was a B-side of their hit song, Lady Willpower. And what's interesting is that they were discovered by a CBS record producer, and he was also a songwriter named Jerry Fuller, and he wrote most of these songs. So these guys were sort of just, you know, sort of almost like that that Motown group. You know, you just basically had talented people, and you had other people writing the songs for you. This sounds a little bit like the Guess Who to me. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I gotta say, Wayne, I am digging this bass line. That bass line is just really cool. Yeah. And they got the little organ in the back there. Oh, you gotta have the Hammond organ. Now, what's interesting is that they dressed up as Union soldiers <laughs> from the American Civil War. So that's during, during that's, their performance. That's why they're called the Union Gap Band. You know. Wow. Uh, I don't think that would go over well in today's yeah. world. I just don't. Other they songs? didn't shorten it to just the Gap Band later on. <laughs> <laughs> Probably needed to. But uh, other songs they did was Woman, Woman, Over You. And if you remember the song Young Girl, yep. Get Out of My Heart. Yeah, Get yeah. Out of My Life. Yeah, the, the kind of a... I think we've covered that. We did. Yeah. We may yeah. have. It's basically about a girl that was uh, underage. Yeah, much and a guy that was much girl. younger. Yeah. Much older and, older and had issues. So that's... <laughs> That was interesting to have that, but uh, one thing is uh, they actually headlined a concert at the White House for Prince Charles, and they played at Disneyland in 68. Um, They were nominated for a Grammy Award for Best New Artist in 1969, but they lost out to Jose Feliciano. Wow. That's an interesting pick there, Wayne. Thank you. Yeah, it's different. It, it is a deep cut, so that's me having the deep cuts. Yeah, but it's fine. And something that kind of rocks and rolls and never probably go into something mellow or relaxing or whatever else. So so let me hear it, Brian. Yes. Bruce, you mentioned you're digging the bass chord. Well, I'm going to – you're going to hear the bass chord on this one. Then. This is Mama Cass from the – Mamas and the Papas. She's doing a song, Dream a Little Dream of Me. And this song was actually written in 1931. What? So she did not obviously write it. She did not obviously do it for the first time. There's so many covers of this song. Sounds like a Judy Garland song or something. Hear that bass? Oh, yeah. Stand-up bass, isn't it? Yes, indeed. This song was uh, basically a Depression-era song in America, you know, and it was very popular. Mm-hmm. According to Song Facts, Fabian Andre and Wilbur Schwant composed the music and Gus Kahn wrote the lyrics. It was recorded by a variety of singers, including Nat King Cole. And the Soggy Bottom Boys. Exactly. <laughs> Michael Buble, Bing Crosby, Louis Armstrong, and Ella Fitzgerald. Three versions of the song have charted. Mama Cass, of course, who we're featuring today. Reached number 11 in the U.K. and number 12 in the U.S. in 1968. Of course, Mama Cass was part of the Mamas, Mamas and the Papas. And, the Papas yep. and Anita Harris made her, her rendition of, made it number 33 that same year in the U.K. So th- imagine having two versions of this at, <laughs> at the, the same, same time. time. Yeah. 
And the Glee cast, you remember the show Glee? Mm-hmm. Their version of the song went up to number 102 in 2010. So it's just a very simple melody, very simple lyric. And this is uh, one of the very few songs, as we know, the Mamas and the Papas eventually dissolved. And Mama Cass went on her solo career. But she wasn't, this wasn't solo. This was with the Mamas this is, and well, Papas. Well, she took, this is with the Mamas and the Papas. Yeah. But she would take it onto her solo career right. and sing it in concert when she performed. So. Yeah. What I kind of like about this, Brian, which is surprising, kind of <laughs> liking something like this, but it does have that sort of jazz piano at the end, and mm-hmm. and it has that fun, you know, somebody's out there really going to town on it. If you listen. I think that's an upright that they're playing. Oh, I mean, it, sounds it, has like the, it. it sounds like an upright piano. It made me think of a saloon. Yeah. yeah. You know, somebody playing this in a, in a saloon in the West. Yes. But this, I, we truly lost a gem. Yeah. When, her, when she passed. She had a great voice. Yeah. It was just a tragic story. She was survived by her daughter, who she never, as I think we've discussed before, she, the father has never been revealed. So, wow. Yeah. What did her daughter go on to do? Didn't she? I don't know if she did anything I musically, thought, but I, I know she she's did. still oh, with okay. us. No, she's still with us. She was featured. She did a lot of the commentary on the when they did the Bruce, stop whistling. This is funny. Right I, don't, I think it's funny for, to... Uh, the Mamas and the Papas. Whistling is always funny to me in a song. It's, it's hard to do. It's a good filler, isn't it? Yeah. Speaking of whistling. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've got uh, oh. our instrumental. <laughs> yeah, the instrumental from July of 68. Tell and actually, this is a top hit. This was a top five hit um, at the time. And, uh, I, I mean, if you didn't know The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, that movie with uh, Lee Van Cleef and, and Clint Eastwood, and to me, this is always that end where they're, you know, you got the wide shots of them kind of standing at each other. There's three of them ready to pull a pull a pistol out. The Mexican standoff. And then suddenly the, it gets a little closer. It gets a little closer. And to me, once they get just one eye, yeah. the extreme, extreme close-up. Oh, yeah. And then they pull the gun, and, and Clint Eastwood shoots Lee Van Cleef, and then the other guys... Spoilers. Shoots it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Spoiler. And the other guy shoots it, shoots it uh, at uh, at Clint, and his gun's empty. <laughs> yeah. Great cinematog- cinematography. And this movie actually came out in '67, uh, correct? Yeah, that's correct. It but came this out is when the song was yeah, on the charts. Exactly. Everybody just loved it. Could you imagine listening this. to the radio and this song came on? I thought it would be cool. Yeah, <laughs> I know a lot of uh, I know a lot of uh, orchestras actually do all these spaghetti yeah. western songs. Sure. Well, music of July of 1968. John Lennon has his first art exhibition called "You Are Here," and I've been to one of his exhibitions. He came to it came to Atlanta about 20 years ago. And John Lennon sells his psychedelic painted Rolls Royce. You know that's got to be worth some major bucks if someone didn't paint yeah. over it. The group Yardbirds disband. Graham Parsons refused to play with the birds in South Africa. One of the first ones that started hmm. to do some boycotting of that. Albums that came out in uh, July of 1968, The Band, Music from the Pink, The Doors, Waiting for the Sun, CCR with the Critics C- Colorado Revival, Grateful Dead, The Moody Blues, Jeff Beck Group, Buffalo Springfield, Savoy Brown, and Deep Purple. And that's what the ref. 
July of 1968. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. See you next time. Thanks for listening to What the Riff? We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Column Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?